This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Wonderful. Uh, we're going to continue this morning talking about building the house. And I want to talk this morning particularly about um, building our own houses, building the house of our lives, our families, and the way that we live in this world. Psalm 127 verses 1 and 2 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. And what I want to talk about today is the choice that we all have to make as people of God of which economy we choose to live by. There are two economies that you can live by as a believer. Those that don't know Jesus only have one that they can live by. It's the way of the world. But you and I have a choice. We can choose to live by the economy of God's kingdom, by the economy of blessing. And Psalm 127 kind of acknowledges this. It says that working harder to get more is actually doing it in vain. It's vanity. It's meaningless. It doesn't work. Working harder to get more doesn't get you. Because living in blessing is not determined by how hard you work, but by which house you're building. Okay? Living in blessing isn't determined by how hard you work, but which house you are building. Unless the Lord builds the house... And we can flip that and say, unless you are building the, that, the Lord's way, yeah? unless you're building his way, whatever you do ultimately will be in vain. And we can think about that first and foremost in terms of what makes it through to eternity. Remember, I spoke a, a couple of weeks ago and asked everyone the question, what are you building this year that's going to last for eternity? Because whatever success you have in this life, you, the, 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 nat, the success in the natural things will mean nothing in the age to come. Jesus tells a story, doesn't he, about the, about the, 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 the foolish farmer or the foolish uh, businessman who kind of like his whole life is about getting more and more and more and he needs more barns to put all his grain in and all his storage in. And then, you know, God comes and visits him and says, you fool, because tonight your life is required of you. And all that you've built is something that can't pass into eternity. So we've got that choice, first of all. But also, in this age, in this world, how are we building? Are we building God's way? How do we engage in the, in, in, in the economy of the kingdom within, while we still live in this age? And by economy, I'm specifically talking now about finance and money and how that works. And so what I want to do today is I want to share with you from the Word some principles that are, that, that are not radical, well, they are radical, they're not new, they're things that we've taught and preached and pra- many of us practiced for many, many, many years. But to see uh, the contrast between doing things according to God's economy and doing things according to our economy. So already, here's an example, we have as a church plenty in the storehouse so we can say hey we're all going to go to this conference together we would like to pay the registration fees if there wasn't any money in the storehouse we wouldn't be able to do that okay so god doesn't just bless you out of nowhere he has ways that guarantee that there is always food in his house 
And that's, that we're going to look at that scripture in a minute, in Malachi 3, so that there is food in the house. Or in, in, in Acts in the early church, the way it would be put is this, there was no needy among them. So God makes provision, but we have to do it. It doesn't just kind of, it, it happens when we opt in and choose to structure our lives, to structure the way that we deal with money and finance in the way that he's revealed. Okay, so I want, you, I want to describe these two economies to you. We've, so we've already read Psalm 127 earlier when we've been talking about building the house. We've read it again today. Here's another scripture we've read before, Haggai chapter 1. I'm going to read you a few verses from here. And it says, um, and remember, it begins in the second year of King Darius. And, and if I remember rightly, this is about a generation or 18 years, I think it is. 18 years that they... They came back to Judah with the express purpose of building the temple. And they started with a spur and then they gave up for 18 years. Okay, 18 years of inactivity. And it says, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai and said, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You, have, you, you eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. And you put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, I t it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which re remains a ruin, while each one of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. And we could go on, but we'll stop there. They weren't building the Lord's house. They were building houses that the Lord wasn't building. They were prioritizing their own provision and security. But what they found is because they were misaligned with what God was doing, that even when they put all of their efforts into providing for their own means, they never had enough. That's not the economy that God wants us to live in. Okay? He doesn't want us to live in a place where you work hard every day and you never have enough and that you put your money in a purse with a hole in it and that everything you put in the top comes out of the bottom and you never get to use it. I love, uh, I, I love, um, I love Joel's advice on finance. Follow him on Instagram for wonderful uh, approved advice. <laughs> um, but one of the things I've heard Joel say is, I want you to spend all your money. <laughs> and then he qualifies that, okay? If you want to find how he qualifies it, you need to speak to him. Um, but, you know, money is that God gives us that, and he wants us to use it. Well, he, he doesn't want it to drop. He doesn't want it to fall out of a, a purse with holes in. He wants it to be used. But they were building their own houses when they should have been building the house of the Lord. Um, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor's labor, laborers labor in vain. A generation, or perhaps not even a generation later, but the next, uh, the, 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 the next phase of, of, of Old Testament history, 
We find in Malachi 3, and Malachi is now, the, the temple is rebuilt, but he's having to come and challenge the people. Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10. He says this, will man rob God? Yet you were robbing me. So God is saying, you were robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall, be, shall, fe, shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord, your hosts, your host. The challenge came, and the people said, God said to the people, you're robbing me. And they said, how can we be robbing God? And God said, my food is in your mouth. <laughs> What belongs to me, you're using for yourself. You, he says this, I will rebuke the devourer. The devourer, in this context, when you read it, it's obvious it kind of means kind of like locusts or any other kind of swarming creature that might come and eat the food that belongs to the people. The devourer in the scripture is anything that comes to eat that which belongs to someone else. Okay? So just think about that. A devourer is that which eats the food that belongs to someone else. Who was the first person that did that? It's not a trick question. Jen. Adam. Adam and Eve. They took what was God's. He says, all of this is yours. This tree is mine. God's portion. And they ate God's portion. Malachi says, I want, God wants to... Well, God says through Malachi, I want to rebuke the devourer that's coming against you. But I can't rebuke the devourer that's coming against you if you're being a devourer to me. Just like Adam and Eve at God's portion, Malachi prophesies to the people and say, you, there is not food in my house because you're not bringing in the tithe and the offering. You see how the, the pattern repeats. But God says, when you bring the full tithe. When you bring the offering, when you return to me what is mine, then you will find you're no longer under a curse. Okay? Genesis 3, and maybe I'm splitting hairs about this, but God doesn't say, I curse the ground. He says, Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. We have an influence over our environment. We have an influence over the world that we live in. And to a great extent, we determine the spiritual laws that are in operation. When we honor God, when we live his way, we determine the spiritual laws that we live under, that we live under the law of blessing. If we dishonor God, if we don't go his way, we bring ourselves under a law of curse. We bring ourselves under a law of lack, under a purse with holes, under a law of working hard and never having enough. But when we live in alignment with God's ways, we bring ourselves into a place of blessing. You see what I mean? We have a choice between which economies we live under in this world. Cursed is the ground. The curse on the ground remains. How can anyone rob God, they say? And God says, you see what you're eating? That's my food. Adam and Eve... You ate my fruit. You ate my portion. The idea of tithing doesn't first appear in the law. Moses, uh, Malachi talks about it here. It's right at the end of the Old Testament. 
We know it's in the law. The first time tithing, as in giving a tenth, is mentioned is with who? Abraham. And Melchizedek is the one he gave it to. Yes, Abraham gives a tenth of everything he has to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is at least, at very least, a very clear picture of Jesus, if not a Christophany of Christ himself, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And that's who Abraham gives his tithe to. But the idea of tithing is found earlier, before it becomes a tenth, in the idea of the first fruits. And the idea of the first fruits is that the first and the best of everything belongs to God. And you can take that idea of God's portion right the way back to the garden. And God says, you can't eat of this tree. This is my portion. And um, the fact that it was God's portion is actually used by the serpent when he comes and says, if you eat it, you'll be just like God. And, uh, you know, they were more like God before they ate it than afterwards. Because that was a lie. But he took a truth and twisted it. This is God's portion. If you eat God's food, you'll be like God. No, if you eat eat what belongs to God, you, you take yourself out from a place of blessing and put yourself in a place of curse. And uh, so Leviticus 27 says this, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or the fruit from the tree belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem their tithe must add a fifth to the value of it. Every tithe of the herd or flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. Um, So actually, Now, this is not my teaching for this morning, but if you tithe in cash, it's actually 12.5%. No, 12%. A tenth plus a fifth of a tenth. I'm glad that we're not under the law. Okay, I'm glad that these are principles and not laws to us. Uh, But uh, if anyone wants to tithe just a 10%, please could we, from now on, have your tithe in lambs and uh, grain and beetroot. And um, no, no. uh, (laughs) Yeah, be tre- uh, tre- uh, Trev's, Trevor's quid's in here. This is, uh... but people, people like to get kind of legalistic about it. You think, well, if you want to be legalistic about it, then let's, 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 let's have that extra 2% as well. Um, but <laughs> that's, that's not the point. The, the point is this. It's a principle that reflects the fact that God owns the first and the best. Every, of everything you have, the first and the best of it belongs to the Lord. Yeah? Uh, that's the principle of, of that's the principle of tithing. That's where it comes from. And in a in a in a in a culture and in a society which is where essentially we, we use money for everything, bringing the first tenth of your income of your increase to the Lord is a great way, and I believe the biblical way of reflecting the principle of bringing God your first and your best. But in every one of these scenarios, whether it's in the law, whether it's, you know, Jesus says to the, Jesus says to the Pharisees, the Pharisees love the law. They love the law. They like to make laws around the law. And he, Jesus says, you know, you Pharisees, you go out in the herb garden and you pick off every tenth leaf of your mint and bring it into inside. And he challenges them and he says, this you should have done, but not neglecting. Justice and righteousness. And so he doesn't even criticize them for that. He doesn't even criticize their pedantry. Because if it's done in faith, then great, it's in faith. Um, But he's saying, you know, 
it's, there's, there's got to be a heart attitude with it as well. That's what he's saying to them. In, everyone's, uh, in every one of these scenarios, God's, God's portion is the first and the best. And if it's God's, that means that you and I are merely stewards of it. We are merely temporary custodians of that, which, that first portion which belongs to the Lord. It may have grown in your field, it may have been birthed by one of your breeding sheep, or it may have been paid into your bank account by your employer, which is probably how it's worked out for most of you. But our responsibility is to bring into God's storehouse his portion as swiftly as we can. I remember some of you will have heard um, of Charles Simpson, who's a fantastic preacher and teacher, and I remember hearing him one time, and he said, uh, he said, if I ever backslid... He said, the one thing I would do is that I would still mail in my tithe check every month because I would not ever want to be caught with God's money in my pocket. There's a man that was utterly convinced, this is not mine. This belongs to the Lord. Therefore, I return it. And it's the first. And sometimes I was talking with um, Balade last week. We, we took a trip up to Oldham and back, and we were talking about giving and tithes and offerings in the car on the way back. And he reminded me of, of something that I'd said a few years ago when we were teaching on tithing, which is this, is that if the tithe is the first, you can always afford to tithe. Okay? If the tithe is the first, you can always afford to tithe. And I want to say to some of you, many of you, because particularly of the, of the season that we're living in at the moment, money is tight. Yeah? Money is tight. That is the absolute last time you would ever want to choose to live in the world's economy and not God's economy. Yeah, And so if the tithe is the first, you can always afford it. And you may get to the bottom of the list and find there are legitimate needs you have that you do not have the money to meet. But here's God's economy. If the tithe comes into the storehouse, there's always food in the house. If God's people are generous, like in Acts, you find that there was no needy among them. It didn't say there was no needy among them because God sprinkled magic prosperity dust. It says there was no needy because those that had lots sold property, sold land, came and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to those that had need. I am utterly convinced that as a church, we have the resource that we need for every need in this church. And we know that probably is it next month there's going to be another hike in electricity and gas prices. For some of us, that might mean... Whereas we were getting by, we're no longer getting by. Here's my confidence. We have all that we need to not be needy. So just on a very practical level, if I can make this really, really clear, if your household budget is getting really tight, and it means that if there's any increase in your expenditure, you don't have enough, please don't stop tithing, but please come and talk to us and say, we believe what you said that there is provision in the house. You see, you see what, if you, if you think, here's, here's all your expenditure. You stick the tithe at the top, you can always afford the tithe. Because prices are going up and wages aren't going up very much, as you work down that list, you're probably going to get to a point, some of us, where the stuff you think, I can't afford that. God has made provision for that. But his provision isn't that you stop returning his portion to him. Malachi says, God says through Malachi, I'll put it in his mouth rather than mine, don't rob God. 
Because if you become a devourer to the things of God, you step outside of the blessing of God, which is I will rebuke the devourer. You step out another way. Let's go back to Haggai's word. You step out of the blessing. You know, God, he wants, you to, he wants your purse to have a big hole in the top, not in the bottom. Yeah? So that he can put plenty in and you can regularly go in there and take and give. That's what he wants. He, doesn't, he wants a secure purse at the bottom and a nice big opening at the top. You know, when they talk about some people, don't they? Because, you know, he's got short arms and long pockets, deep pockets. You know, it's like he can never get his hand into it. God doesn't want us to be like that. But there are times, and there will always be times because of the world we live in, through, through, often through no fault of our own, where we individually do not have all the finance that we need. But God in his wisdom has, has created a system by which there will be no needy among his people. So don't step outside of that blessing. Don't step outside of God's economy when times get tough. That is the last time you would want to step out of God's economy and back into the ways of the world, back into the ways of you work hard and never have enough, and even when you think you've got enough, you go and look and see what's in your pocket and it's gone. Don't choose that way. Don't build the world's way. Build God's way. There's a great example of this. Um... In the story of Cain and Abel, first of all, let me, just, let me just point out, you do have a choice. Deuteronomy 30, 19, God says, This day I call the heavens and earth as a witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. You, we have a choice about the way we live. We can choose whether we live in blessing or curse. We can choose whether we live in life or death. And everyone thinks, oh, yeah, obviously, I'm going to choose blessing and I'm going to choose life. Well, let me tell you how to choose blessing and how to choose life. It's by not robbing God and making sure that he gets his portion and that there's a generosity in our giving. But first of all, story of Cain and Abel. I'm not going to read the passage because I'm sure you know it. But do you, have you ever considered the lifestyle choices that Cain and Abel made. What did Cain do? How did he earn his living? Yes, he worked the ground. And what did Abel do? He was a shepherd of sheep. They chose whether or not they lived in blessing or curse. Because you see, the ground was cursed because of Adam's sin. And Cain chose to, chose to work the ground. God never rescinded his blessing that was over the, the livestock and over man's ability to rule over and to increase and to multiply. Even in their choices, one had chosen to, he thought, I live in a land that's cursed, but I can still choose to live under the blessing. And Cain thought, I'm going to try my hardest and see if I can survive. There's a, the one had faith, the other accepted his circumstances. And then that's evidenced in what they come. And it says Abel comes and he brings the first and the fattest of the crops, of, of, the, of the flock, sorry. The first and the fattest. I love it that God likes the fat portion. I just, those of us that carry a little extra, extra weight, he likes you. Um, and Cain says it, he brought some of, it just says he brought some of the fruit of the earth, but Abel brought the, fir the fat and the firstborn to God. What can they see? One of them knew the best belongs to God. 
what I bring comes first. One of them chose to live under blessing. The other chose to live in line with the curse. We get to choose the economy that we live in. Mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Genesis 22, when Abraham is ready to offer Isaac, and instead God provides a ram, and Abraham calls the place, the Lord will provide. We might know that as the phrase Jehovah Jireh. God is our provider. We sang this morning, the Lord's my shepherd. Here, the good news translation, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The Lord is my provider. Look at this translation of Psalm 127, verse 2. It is in vain that you rise early and come home late and work hard for your food. Yes, he can provide for those whom he loves even when they sleep. Isn't that amazing? It's not only that it's in vain to try and do it in your own strength. It's actually God's provision will come to you even while you're asleep. That's how much you can rest in him. Now, here's, here's, here's a secret that I discovered many, many years ago, and it's completely liberating. If God is your provider, then, it's, then what you have is nothing to do with your work. It's to do with who he is. Yeah? The Lord is my provider. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I will not bother. Well, I will still rise early, probably, but I'm not going to rise early and come home late and work hard because God provides while I'm asleep. I work not to gain what I need because God is my provider. And then the second part of this, here we go, Colossians 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. We can switch that for this context, if you like. Employees, obey your employers in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Deuteronomy 8.17. When you come into the land, you may say to yourself, my parents' strength and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to our ancestors as it is today. So here's the liberating thing. When we realize that God is our provider... And when we realize that our work is unto the Lord, not for our own gain, not for our own increase, and not for other men, we're completely freed from that cycle of working hard to provide for ourselves. We still work hard because we work unto the Lord. In fact, we probably work harder. We work smarter. We work more diligently. We work more effectively because we know we're serving the Lord. Not an employer, not a master. We're serving the Lord. We excel in all things. You will be the best employee in your workplace if you pursue this kind of attitude. But you will also be liberated from any kind of sense of, I've got to work harder so I get enough to live. No, he's your provider. And the work you do, you do unto him. Here's a, here's a choice we make. The world's, way of, the world's economy says, I need to work hard to get what I need. And God says, I'll give you all you need work for me yeah we're liberated from 
that way of working. The mindset of man's economy is everything I have, I earned by the strength of my hand and everything I do, I do for me. And if that's your attitude, if that's our attitude, we become slaves to consumption. And we always need more. But in the mindset of God's economy, we say everything I have comes from the Lord and everything I do, I do to the Lord. And we're free and we will always have all that we need. Let me just say, it is possible, however, to still know God's provision and mismanage your finances. I remember many, many years ago speaking to a young man. He said, he said tell me about you know, the principles of, 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 of finance. I said, well, you know, there's, there's three areas, really, that we ought to be concerned with. Tithes, bringing, bringing to the Lord that which is his. Offerings that come out of the generosity of our heart. And remembering the poor and meeting the needs of others. He said, right, right. He said, so, he said I've been doing all those. Um, he said, but I've still got huge debt and I've, and I've and, uh, and, you know, never, seemed to have enough, never seemed to have enough money. But I'm doing all those things, so why is that? And I realized that if we don't also say, and, and stewarding what you have well, and not spending more money than you have, <laughs> you will get into trouble. Yeah? It is possible for, you know, to live under the goodness and the grace of God, but still, it's the prodigal son, isn't it? He, he got his whole inheritance and managed to spend it all. With nothing to show for it. It's possible. This isn't a magic recipe. Okay? It's not like, well, I, I tithe regularly, therefore I can, spend, I can spend money on whatever I want. No, you can spend the rest of the money you have <laughs> wisely. But you can't just keep spending and spending and spending. There's only one principle I find in, in, in Scripture that, that really kind of guarantees that you keep getting more and more money back, which is give and you will receive, press down, shaken together, running over. It is he who, lends, he who gives to the poor lends to God. So in our giving, that's God's means of providing continual flow and supply to us. But, but it's always out of what we've got, not out of what we think we might have. Yeah? There is, there is not a futures um, market in the kingdom of God. Okay? Well, I'll, I'll spend this because God's going to bless me next year. No. No. Uh, <laughs> Okay, we've got to be good stewards of what God gives to us. So let's come back then and just finish off with, um, here's, here's, another, here's another scripture that, that is really helpful. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29 to 32. From now on, let those who buy as the, be as those who had no goods. Let those who deal with the world, and that word deal there is to do with financial dealings. Okay, so that could mean taking out a loan, taking out a mortgage. Okay, those who deal with the world as if they had no dealings of it. I've, I've forgotten to look up the, the Moffat translation, I think, in here. It says, those who, who, who use the things of the world as, not, as if not encumbered by them. Or as if not c- constrained or trapped by them. For the present form of this world is passing away and I want you to be free from anxieties. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, just, just be careful how you engage with the financial systems of this world. One, so that you don't live in a way that you're trapped by them. They must serve you. He's not saying don't use them. He's not saying don't do that. He's saying you must make sure that if you engage in the financial systems of this world, that they serve you. And then he says, but remember, ultimately they're passing away. 
ultimately, they are, there, isn't, there isn't eternal security in them. And as we know, there isn't even temporal security often in these things. You've got to be wise. You've got to, don't be in a position where the world systems have a hold on you. Let them serve you, but don't let them, don't let, don't come to a place where you have to serve them. And why? Because he says, I don't want you to be anxious. And I want you to remember that all of those things are part of the present age and not part of eternity. The world's economy is ultimately passing away. It doesn't have any eternal significance or impact. We can use it wisely to help us in what God has called us to do in this world. Um, but don't let it become something that makes you a slave. So let's talk very briefly then about the three things that the Bible tells us to do in order to engage in this kingdom economy, in this economy of blessing. So first of all, let's talk about tithes and offerings. So tithes, first of all, remember Malachi said to the people they were robbing God uh, by not bringing their tithes and their offerings. So what were they? Were they... Um, so we, we, that's clear in terms of the offerings. God said, this is my portion. What about offerings? How does not bring an offering rob God? Okay, so if the offering is what you freely choose to give, how does not giving rob God? Well, I think one way that it robs God is that it robs God of... Um, is it robs God of the means that he has provided to bless and prosper us. So if we don't give, and God has instilled a spiritual principle of give and it will be given, a spiritual principle of bring the tithes and offerings and I will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing, of God who said, if you give to the poor, effectively you're lending to me, and, you know, God always pays back. <laughs> yeah? Of a God who says, Luke 6, 38, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So God has determined that this is how he will operate. And therefore, and his desire and his, his, his will and his delight is to bless you and to cause you to live in abundance. But he has instituted a spiritual law that says, give and it will be given to you. And so if you don't do the give, you're stepping out from that place of blessing. You're stepping out from his economy. You're going back into the, I've got to hold on to everything that I've got because in case I don't have enough. God wants you to have more than enough. You remember in the Old Testament times when they, when it, when they harvested the field, they were told, uh, don't harvest all the way to the edge of the field. Don't harvest all the way to the edge of the field. You need to leave some there for the, for the poor that can come and clean. You need to leave some there for the birds and the animals because Genesis, end of Genesis 1 tells me that we're responsible for the welfare of the environment and that the animals can eat as well. He says, don't go all the way to the edge. What kind of a God do you think I am if you have to pick up every last grain of wheat in order to survive? Don't go, you don't need those edges. I've abundantly blessed you with all the rest of what's in the field. Don't go after every last scrap. There's plenty to give. There's plenty. To, that's, that's my definition of abundance. That's my definition of prosperity. Prosperity, biblically, I believe, is I have all I need and I have some to give away. 
I have all I need and I have some to give away. That's, that's prosperity. It's not about having fancy cars and big houses. It's I've got all I need and I've got more beside. I can be generous. I can be generous in every season. That's prosperity. To be, I, 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 I can always be generous. Generosity isn't always to do with the monetary value of something, is it? It's a heart attitude and an action. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your attention. You can be generous with your home. You can, there's lots of ways you can be generous. That's prosperity. I can always be generous. I've got all I need and I've got some to give. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. God does not want us to reap sparingly. And we rob him of the means he has for blessing us if we only sow sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he's decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, you have all that you need and you may abound in every good work. There's another definition of prosperity for you. All things, at all times, you have everything you need and you can abound in every good work. And sometimes that good work will be giving financially and sometimes it will be all kinds of other things. This is how God wants us to live. But he says if you're, if you, if you're sparing in how you sow, you will be sparing in how you reap. That's just how things work. But if you're generous, you will be generous in what you reap. Now, I don't know. You know, some of you know that I am a little pedantic in some things. And I don't know whether I'm supposed to do this or not, but it seems to work and it seems to bless me. But in the scripture, when it talks about reaping, it uses three numbers. 30-fold, 60-fold. And a hundredfold. So when I look at sowing financially, I say, well, the, the minimum return that God tells me I'm going to get when I sow is 30 times. So the minimum I should sow is one thirtieth. Anything less than that would be, would be sowing sparingly. It would be sowing not enough to, to be confident of a return. Okay? And so for many years now, that, for Ruth and I, that's where we set the, the kind of the baseline of our giving. Okay, one thirtieth of our income, a third of what your tithe would be. Okay, and praise God, we we generally exceed that. Okay, but that's that's just to put some numbers on it for you, in terms of what does sparingly and what does generously mean. And I know it's not it's not supposed to be a rule in any way, shape, or form, but that helps us. It helps us put figures because we want to sit down and say, well, what are we going to give? What does generosity look like? What does sparing look like? And that's one of the ways uh, that we do that. So let's conclude with this then. Tithes are a matter of faithfulness. Tithing says, I believe God, you are my provider, and therefore I can give you the first and the best because I'm confident that you will supply all that I need. In Israel's uh, ancient times, there was, a, there was a, f a feast called the Feast of First Fruits. And I'm not going to go into all the typology of it because I would away for hours but what it meant was that the very first fruits that came up the very first crop that came up they took it and brought it to the lord that's a bold thing to do because what if tomorrow there's a hailstorm or a swarm of locusts 
and all the rest of the crop that you were relying on to to live is devastated because you gave the first to God. It's a statement of faith. God, I believe that you will supply. I believe I'm not going to hold everything in. I'm going to bring you the first. And tithing is a matter of faithfulness and an expression of faith. I will give you the first and the best because I'm confident that you will supply all that I need. Offerings are a measure of generosity. Freely you've received, freely give. Our generosity is in proportion to our appreciation of all that God has given us. Our generosity is in proportion to our appreciation of all that God has given us. And the final one is meeting the needs of the others. This is the true proof, I believe, of fellowship. Remember, James says, you know, someone comes in who's needy, who's obviously needy, needs clothes, he needs food, and you say, well, the Lord bless you, let me pray for you. You say, that's 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 not true fellowship, that's not. It's meeting the needs. It was one of the most radical characteristics of the early church in Jerusalem that there was no needy among them. And I believe it is a characteristic that God wants to see in every expression of his church. That there is no needy among them. And when this broke down in the early church, because it was actually the first, prob- first internal problem the church had, is that it wasn't actually working. It worked well to begin with, and then it wasn't working because the the Greek widows were not being as well cared for as the Jewish widows. It's the first internal problem that the, the church had to deal with. I'm just questioning myself on that now in the chronology, chronology of when Ananias and Sapphira come along. But maybe they're before them. But it's the first, the first wide-scale issue across the church. Let me put it that way. And the, the, the apostles, they, they don't... They don't try and kind of just fix this around the edges. They said, right, find us, find us seven guys who are really full of the Holy Spirit and let them solve the problem. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to kind of like just delegate this to, you know, well, you know, who's, who's, who's not really that important in the, uh, you know, who's not doing anything that spectacular in the, in the church? Let's just, just say, no, we want, we want to find seven of the best guys. They're going to sort this problem out. And we don't know exactly how they sorted it out, but they did. And there was peace in the church. <laughs> When meeting the needs of others was ignored by the Corinthians, Paul tells them that the reason so many of them were sick and some of them had died because the communion table had become a curse to them. They were eating judgment on themselves because they were neglecting the needs of their brothers and sisters. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? We come around the Lord's table and go, this wonderful cup of blessing that we bless. (laughs) Well, you be careful, it can become a curse. It can become something that brings judgment on you. What a powerful... I'm not saying that to scare us, by the way. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that. See how important God sees these things? That if we don't meet the needs of one another, we bring judgment on ourselves. Whether it's at the Lord's table or any other time, we bring judgment on ourselves. We step outside of his economy of blessing and back into the way of curse. I just want to say, in closing, I'm not trying to persuade anyone this morning to tithe if you're not tithing, or to give offerings if you're not giving, or to put more in the offering if you're not putting very much in. That's not what I'm trying to do. I want to increase your revelation of Christ. I want you to choose life over death, blessing over curse, 
God's economy over man's economy, the way of the kingdom over the way of the world. That's what I want us to do. Because I am utterly convinced, I am utterly convinced that this is how we should steward our possessions and our finances. And that there is huge, huge blessing in it. I got over many, many years ago, and I was given advice by some wonderful men of God. Um, when you're supported by the church, like I am, you can feel that there's a conflict when you talk about finance. You've got to, that's got to die. I do not have the right to feel embarrassed about this. Because I need to be able to say what Paul says in Acts 20. I, I didn't hold back anything that was useful to you. I declared to you the whole counsels of God. And I got over that a long time ago. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to say that. It doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. Um, because I want to see God's hand of prosperity on every one of us. And I want us to see that we're building our houses the way he builds his house. And that we're working on his his ways and not ours ways because he is a God who loves to bless and you know God still blesses even when we don't do things right because he's a God of blessing but there's a choice like Mike Moses says I put the choice before you blessing and curse life or death choose life it's going to have to it's going to it's going to have to touch some parts of your life that sometimes you don't want things to touch but you know what there's freedom in this I want you to be blessed. I want you to live in abundance. I want your purse to have no holes in the bottom, but to have a big wide opening at the top. I want you to build the Lord's house and to know that God is building your house. I don't want you to be a devourer, but I want you to know that the Lord rebukes every devourer that would come your way. And I want God's house to always be full of food. Food that will feed not only the people of God, but will feed the nations. Do you remember, it was probably about five years ago now, James Aubrey came and talked about the feeding, the feeding the city and through our, through our prosperity being those that feed the nations. I'm going to have to go and dig that podcast out and listen to it again. I want that the church will have all that we need to bring the good food of the gospel to the hungry world around us. That's what I want. Now, there's some, a lot of practical stuff today. From this, I hope there's a lot of practical stuff. I hope it applies probably in many different ways into many people, uh, in, in, in people's different situations. And you may well want some help in terms of laying hold of some of this and working it practically into your lives. As elders, we're here for you. Trustees are here for you. I haven't, I haven't said this already, but I know that my, my wonderful friend Christopher Hamer Hodges would love to help people come and lay hold of this and, and, and put it into their lives. It's one of the things teachers do. They actually help you take the word and make it a reality in your life. There's plenty of people that, that are willing and able to help you take this and say, I want, I want this to put this. this I, need to, I, need, I need to break out of a financial position and a financial way that I'm in and into the blessing and abundance of God. We would love to help you do that because I'm telling, I want to tell you that all of those people that I just mentioned have lived this way for many, many, many years years proved it to be true and delight in the ways of the lord there's many other people like that in the church as well but all of those that i mentioned none no one's just going to tell you theory everyone's going to tell you this is how you walk this out and this is how god causes you to live in blessing
Because that's his heart and his intention for you. This world has only just begun to go through its present troubles. Yeah? It's only just begun to go through its present. We might be coming out of a pandemic, but there's still a lot of trouble in this world. I've, I've actually resigned myself to the fact that I'm probably going to be one of those generations that the good times were earlier in your life in terms of worldly things. The good times were earlier in life and the hard times are in the second half of your life. It's just the way the cycles of this world go. I don't have any hope that better days are coming in the world. But I have a lot of hope that better days are coming with Jesus. And it's more and more important that we find we're standing on the rock of the kingdom that cannot be shaken than on the things of the world that not only can be shaken but will ultimately pass away. Um, that's, that's the world that we live in. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a pessimistic person. I'm not a gloom and doom merchant, but that's what I, that's what I see. But, but... God delights, God delights to cause us to live in a place of peace, prosperity, despite what is happening in the world around us. But we are not immune to it. And we need to choose life and we need to choose blessing. Amen. So I hope I've not left you on a downer, but it is, but it's, 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 it's important stuff, folks. It's important stuff. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.